Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we've got a special guest with us calling in from San Francisco, James Watts. And we're excited to have you on the Project Purple Podcast, James. I mean, our stories have been inspiring and you've been doing some really cool stuff, how we got connected to you, which we're going to go into on social media with your fight with pancreatic cancer. But thank you for joining us on the Project Purple Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me, and thank you for the work you do. really appreciate it. No, no, thank you. And as I said before we started recording, uh, the pleasure is ours, and we are blessed uh, to be in this position to share your story and so many other stories of inspiration of people that are battling this disease and other cancers and other ailments and other diseases. So thank you for for being our guest and, and for having the courage to raise awareness for this disease, but also to share your story uh, with our audience. So with that, let's talk a little bit about your background, James. Uh, I did mention you, you live in San Francisco, and before we recorded, you said you were born and raised in San Francisco, so you've lived there your whole life. Uh, but kind of give our audience just kind of a, a, a clue into your life and where you are right now. Okay, yeah, I was a, I'm a San Francisco native. Um, I did live in New York. We did live in New York for a few years, and I've lived in other places. But when it was time to start a family and uh, raise our two children, we decided to move back to San Francisco, and that was about 31 years ago. And um, I'm an artist. I uh, do a lot of sculpture and uh, painting, and I also... Uh, illustrate. I illustrate. Um, I've illustrated about 24 children's books, and that's been kind of my specialty over the years. And um, it certainly informs the uh, Instagram uh, images that I'm producing for uh, my uh, journey through chemotherapy. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, probably my first doctor called it uh, stage 3A. Um, pancreatic cancer last June, um, and uh, I was—I had jaundice, um, which was kind of a precursor to it. It's a symptom often for pancreatic cancer, and uh, I had to get through that before I started chemotherapy, um, which started in the, kind of the middle of August, and I'm on my 11th infusion, and uh, I've got one more to go. And fortunately, you caught me at a fairly good time in the two-week cycle because the first week isn't so great, um, but the second week is uh, every day it gets better and better, and I'm able to feel more like a functioning human being. But um, anyway, the um, if you want me to go into the uh, hemographs, I as an artist, I, I wanted, I was feeling. Um, you know, when I had the jaundice, I was not doing well at all. Um, I had a duct that was blocked. Unfortunately, my uh, tumor is uh, non-operable, and uh, it's surrounded some arteries and bile ducts as well. And uh, so they have to kind of shrink it down to see if they can operate. Um, I'm probably going to do some radiation after mm-hmm. the chemo. And... Uh, but as an artist, I felt, even though I was feeling really bad and I couldn't do anything else, when I started the chemo, I had no idea what was going to happen. But I felt like I had to do something creative about it. I had to express myself in some way. And I thought of doing a drawing a day. 
um, kind of as a daily practice. And I had no idea what the drawings were going to be like. And I had no idea what the chemo was going to be like. And I had no idea what I was going to feel like. And um, I just started. And, I, and my only rule for myself was <clears throat> that they were going to be um, drawn from immediacy. In other words, no sketching or whatever, which I usually do for illustrating, just these will be kind of whatever comes to my mind, and that I would, no matter what, do it every day. And um, so I've been doing it, and the chemo has gone on longer than I thought, because uh, they've decided, they decided to extend it by four rounds. And so it's become this kind of thing which I really look forward to doing and which I kind of have to do at this point and I want to do and the people that follow me you know the responses I get are, are very meaningful to me and, and often to them as well I'm often amazed by by what people say to me and, and people who reach out and try to contact me and so I, I, I'm going to continue doing it through the radiation and we'll just see what happens down the road um but it's just something that I, I, I feel um, really helps me get through this and get on. As I finish every, every uh, uh, comment, I always say onward, and, um, and that's kind of my attitude is uh, looking forward, um, trying not to look backward so much, but you can't avoid that, you know, all the time. But um, it's basically... Uh, you know, a visual diary day by day. Well, I, I commend you, first of all, for doing what you're doing. And I think, though, there's a, you know, art is an expression, right? And I think what you're doing and what you're able to do, and people, you know, visually will learn in different ways, right? Like some people, well, I should say, let me back up, people will learn in different ways. Some people are, like I know for me, when I was in college, I always had to write, I always had to have, to have a deck of cards, like note cards to write down. Even though it was in my notebook, I would use these index cards and that was just very effective for me learning. I wasn't very good listening, uh, but more writing and that tends to stick with me. And I think like for me visually, like seeing that, and that's what's been so powerful, at least for me, James is like seeing kind of your your graphs and like looking back at your history of this and and hearing you just talk about the story like your first one I'm looking at Instagram was in August of 18 and it was the altar right and then going just fast forward and this is like there's a lot in between but your latest one was just the pancreas and just visually how that just moves you, you know, and then you look at the caption, it moves me when I look at the caption that you wrote from the first one here, you know, first visit to the chemo altar today, six, six hours went well, thank you to the amazing team at UCSF. And it's an altar and you've got kind of, you know, the, it looks like the chemotherapy going into this bowl and you've got like all these tubes or arteries, you know, kind of the way I interpret it, you know, with the chemo going in or going out, you know, the blood possibly, you know, like because it's going through and then you've got these rocks, you know, and just so to me, it's just so powerful. And to be able to do that in a way that is you is, is pretty amazing and fascinating all in itself. So thank you for doing that. I do have some questions. Though. I want to back up a little bit. Sure. So prior, you get diagnosed in June of 18 and you said you were a jaundice. Like, how was your life before that? Were you, you know, 
traveling, enjoying your family, everything was fine. And then what were the symptoms? Was it just bam, you hit jaundice or was there like kind of a precursor before that, which now of course, hindsight being 2020, we can look back and say, uh, probably was that, you know, I probably was sick then, but I just didn't realize it because I wasn't diagnosed. Yeah, I mean, definitely that was the case, which is apparently often the case with pancreatic cancer is that, um, it slips by a lot of, uh, slips under a lot of symptoms and, uh, that could easily be other things. Yeah, I was, um, you know, we were, uh, I'm 63 years old. Um, I, my wife teaches, uh, ESL and, uh, I was teaching, uh, children's book writing and illustrating and doing some guest teaching at another school and doing, uh, some, uh, illustrating and book design freelance. And, uh, we were thinking of, uh, you know, maybe trying to figure out how to retire, and 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 we were we had planned this big trip down to Mexico, and uh, we had our next door neighbors, a young family, were redoing their home, and and they needed they were looking for a place to live uh, while they were doing it, and we were going, well, wait a minute, we could we could rent out our house, and we and. Uh, go to Mexico where they, they stay in our house and uh, we could go down to Mexico for two or three months and kind of check it out. Maybe, you know, maybe live down there. And, um, so we went for the spring of last, the, the beginning of last year, we spent a lot of time kind of cleaning out our house that we've been in for 31 years. And if you've been in a house that long, it's uh, amazing how much stuff you have in every <laughs> How much you collect, yeah. So you thought the the weight loss at that time because of your you thought it was diet related, not necessarily cancer yeah, related at yeah. the time, right? And so it's, yeah, and although I did change my diet pretty radically, yeah, I probably the weight loss, you know, was probably the cancer as well. And so, um, but though, yeah, hey James, let yeah. me just jump in here. So I know with rapid weight loss or with weight loss with the disease. I know from my experience, and I'm not a doctor, so for those listening at home, I'm not saying that this is scientific, but if you're still eating, well, some people though, I, I know from the people we've talked to, like my dad lost weight 
because he wasn't hungry. So it wasn't necessarily an issue, I, I guess, in fairness. And not, and I, I just say this because I don't want you to think like, oh, like beating yourself up. We missed the, we missed the, an opportunity there or we missed that sign with the weight loss because I don't know if it's necessarily – um, the weight loss is related to just having the cancer and, and naturally you're, you're going to lose weight or if it's more related to not eating, you know, and I think that the, the latter I think is more of what I hear is that people just don't eat like they lose their appetite and they lose they just shed a, a ton of weight because they're just not eating and they don't have that desire to eat. So, yeah. uh, you know, in fairness, don't, uh, don't, I, I hope you don't think that, uh, like I just asked that question, you know, and you just said, well, maybe that was a sign. But also I think just to correct myself, who knows, you know, because I think when, when I've seen it from people is like, they're not eating. So naturally you are going to lose weight. Like you get sick and you don't eat, like you don't gain weight or you start, your body starts to, you know, basically eat what it can, what's, what's in the body. And that's how, you know, people lose yeah. weight. So. Yeah, well, I, you know, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I, at that time, I, my appetite was okay. You know, I yeah. was kind of shifting it, you know, shifting my eating patterns. You know, I was really cutting out sugar and, and carbs. And yeah. It was almost kind of like a paleo diet kind of yeah. thing. And so um, my appetite was okay, and I thought I was doing pretty well. I actually felt great. You know, that's, you know, other than these, like, periodic... Uh, uh, kind of, you know, hard to describe kind of feelings I was having in my abdomen, you know, these kind of, and I was lifting a lot of, we were doing a lot around the house, and I was lifting a lot of boxes, and I thought, oh, maybe I'm just straining myself. You know, it was one of those things where I didn't really know, but I felt something was wrong, and and in um, May, I, my, uh, well, not to get too graphic here, but my bowel movement started to change and then yeah. I went back to the doctor and I said what's up with this and, and he, he you know tested me tested my stools tested uh, my blood everything was okay and um, so he said you know I mean that's the thing about pancreatic cancer people come in with these vague symptoms and as I understand it you know doctors the first thing they do is not you know oh hmm, you have a kind of a uh, kind of a stomach issue. Let's give you a CT scan and check for pancreatic cancer. I mean, yeah. you know, that's not where they go first. No, you know? <laughs> no. Diagnostically, and, uh, it's so difficult. And you know what you're saying is like all in line with uh, nothing, like the bowel movement thing. And not to uh, harp on that, but that's quite common, you know. And I, I think also like backing up, like you're changing your diet. So that typically does happen too. Even for a healthy person that changes their diet and eats different food, they're going to have abnormal bowel movements. Um, not to go into too much, too many more details. I know there's certain <laughs> bowel movements that, you know, are, are certainly alarming more so than other ones. Um, but we had a gentleman on uh, the podcast not too long ago. And the only symptom that he had, James, was massive diarrhea for like two weeks straight. And they kept telling him he had like a, a virus or a bug in his stomach. And they kept going back and forth with this diagnostic testing and they could, just couldn't figure out. And then finally someone said, you know, let's do a, an MRI. And they, they found, you know, that he had a tumor on his pancreas. So, you know, it's very fascinating. So I appreciate you sharing that, you know, and all full disclosure. Yeah, well... You know, looking back again, you know, it's clear that the symptoms were there. I mean, I had a, I, I, throughout my life, I had a 
pretty not a, not any issues with my GI tract or anything. And and so I you know this beginning of last year I was I did have some moments where I had a kind of a flu thing and then you know these symptoms and then um, but by May you know the doctor said okay well we gave you these tests you know just um, and I told them we're going to Mexico for a couple of months and he gave me some meds to take just in case and and we set off for Mexico and uh, spent most of June in Mexico going to uh, Querétaro and San Miguel Allende and Guanajuato the kind of cities up in the in the in the hills there and, and checking them out and and trying to decide we were going to decide you know which one we kind of wanted to stay in and then maybe stay another month or two and but I was starting, that's when I was starting to not feel well. And, of course, here in Mexico, we've been to Mexico a lot, and uh, sometimes we get sick, sometimes we don't. But, yeah. you know, it's, that's part of the deal going to Mexico. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, I was kind of not feeling well, and um, and the, the, the key thing, the key moment was we were in... Uh, uh, Guanajuato, and we were at at a restaurant, and my wife looked at me and said, "You look yellow." Huh. And that's when I knew because I'd been, you know, we're all googling these things all yeah. the time, and uh, you know, I kind of knew whatever I have, you know, pancreatic cancer is the worst, you know, is the um, kind of the the worst scenario here, mm -hmm. you know. And and when she said that, I knew immediately that I had jaundice, and um, uh, and we had to cancel, you know, we canceled the trip and, uh, I was, I got much sicker and, um, yeah, and my appetite had definitely gone down. Um, and we got home, uh, at near the end of June, like the 26th of June and immediately, you know, scrambled to get, uh, to see doctors and, and I had lost, you know, I found that I had lost even more weight and um, a lot more weight. I lost like maybe, you know, 15 pounds in, in like three or four weeks. And, wow. uh, uh, and the, uh, my, GI, uh, my GI doctor, you know, immediately did a CT scan that showed the, the tumor and um, also that the duct was blocked and uh, that was causing the jaundice. So they put, I had three procedures done in, in July, um, a stent put in, and then they had to readjust the stent because it wasn't working. And of course they put the port in. Um, and I had to wait for the chemo uh, until the jaundice subsided. And that's when, you mentioned the appetite thing, that's when I had no appetite. The jaundice was really terrible. I mean, I had, I just had no energy. I was losing, I was down to 134 pounds. Mm. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, I, wore, I weighed 186. And, oh, um, uh, and I had, I, eating was a real problem. And, um, and also when you get jaundice, you get this itching, which yeah. is just unbelievably, it's just unbelievable. It's just, <laughs> Because it's the um, it's the bilirubin going into your system because it can't drain because the <clears throat> the duct is blocked, so it it just goes into your body and uh, dissipates and creates this itch.
can, and it, there's no real cure for it. They give you these things, but um, it's just, uh, anyway, that was really, July was really bad, and um, I realized how, honestly, how grateful I, I was for the medical in- intervention, you know, of the stent and the, um, uh, because I think without it, you know, I was going, you know, nowhere. I was, I was dying basically. And, uh, but the, uh, Bellarubin count, uh, went down eventually and they felt I could start the chemo. So I started the chemo in, uh, the middle of August. And I got to say that, um, as the chemo has gone on, I've been able to tolerate it pretty well. Um, I've some of the symptoms that a lot of people have, the nausea and vomiting and whatnot. I have not had. I've had, um, uh, you know, the lower GI tract issues, you mm-hmm. know, diarrhea and whatnot. And of course, the incredible fatigue and the incredible brain fog kind of uh, chemo brain where your yeah. concentration just goes out the window and and that kind of all accumulates as you're go- doing it so it just kind of steadily gets worse and worse and um, as someone said when I started chemo your world is about to get really small <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I know what he meant now um, because you kind of retreat and not retreat, but you, it becomes your life, the chemo cycle. And I'm on a two, two week cycle. And, um, so you go every two weeks and you take, so you take that, you get the, let's say if you get the chemo on a Monday, then you, you feel pretty crappy for that first week. And then going into that second week, you kind of get that rebound week and then you got to go back and get the chemo. Yeah, exactly. And I had, um, I'm taking a fulfurinox and, uh, so I, I do the infusion, and I do a home drip, home drip yeah. with this canister for two days. And by the yeah the third day, I'm, I'm pretty toxic, you know. And, and the, the following several days, um, pretty you know knocked out. And uh, and then it's yeah, then it's if everything kind of settles down, and you kind of climb back out, um, and uh, the appetite you know disappears during those days. And like I try. My goal is when I'm doing, as I'm doing this care, uh, chemotherapy is to, when I go back for the infusion, to get my weight up over 150, you know. So I'm still, you know, for my weight, really thin. Um, but at least it's out of the 130s, you know, and uh, into the kind of high 140s. Um, and then I, I try to eat as much as possible the last you know, five or six days. Um, I'm also taking Creon, which yep. is the... Um, Helps you digest, the, yep. Yeah, digest, which... <clears throat> so I have to be really careful about, you know, the fats, you know, the fatty foods. So, you know, you do things like uh, not go out as much. I've been to one restaurant in the last, uh, you know, one restaurant since June. And I found I just it's just not worth going out. You know, it's not worth spending the money because I, I, you know, the restaurant food is is so good, but it's just not built for me. You know, it's not built for someone who's on chemo. It's just too rich. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. I've got one more round of chemo to go, and and these these last two or three rounds have definitely been the. Strongest. 
Well, that's what I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask you about that because I know one of the the common side effects um, is neuropathy. And being a artist, like, have you had a lot of neuropathy, or is, uh, how has that effect impacted what you do? Yeah, um, you know, it started. You know, when we uh, when I started the chemo, but it kind of was very, you know, vague and not so bad, and it would go away in three or four days. And, you know, it was the kind of thing you stick your hand in the refrigerator and, whoa, it's like touching snow, you know, or something. It's like, wow, you know, your hands start tingling. And, um, but it would go away, and I thought, okay, you know, and then my feet, it's also in my feet, but it, you know, again, it didn't bother me that much, but it's now it's getting to the point where it's really not going away. Mm-hmm. And um, it hasn't, sometimes I think it bothers me when I'm drawing, you know, maybe it makes my my hand tremble a little bit, but uh, maybe not. But it, it's a it's a concern of mine going forward because the danger is it never goes away once it kind of gets in there. And um, yeah, so it's funny because I was taking a walk the other day. It's been pretty cold out here, um, and you know I'm on the sunny side of the street with you know mittens on and uh, trying to stay and, uh, warm. Yeah gloves and I can still kind of feel it but if I walk across the street to the shady side it's like my hands just light up and uh, oh, really? they're like sparklers you know and uh, wow. so that's kind of fascinating I'm not even touching anything that is and, that uh, is super fascinating so that is, yeah it's a concern of mine definitely I know that I mean the, the the one thing I know with the neuropathy and you know again I'm not an expert on this and I know, though, and why I bring up the question is, you know, the, the more the, the stuff that I have read, the more activity that you do with your feet and with your hands, I have read that, you know, people tend to have better results in terms of, you know, being able to kind of keep the neuropathy at bay a little bit or, or get that sensation back, you know, and, and there's things like stress balls. There's also I've seen people with like these uh these pegboards for the ground where you you move your toes and like the toes pull down something and it, it kind of goes back um so that you're moving like moving so you know you're moving the fingers and your toes constantly to kind of keep them activated and stuff like that and so that's where i'm wondering you know with the drawing and the artwork if that's actually beneficial because you're actually physically moving you know versus someone who probably doesn't use their hands you know, that's battling chemotherapy or, you know, if they type a lot also, you know, that might tend to be helpful because you're move the movement, um, and the exercise of that, um, versus just, uh, you know, being somewhat sedentary, you know, is, is so those, those are, and again, not to be, I'm not an expert on this, but I know from talking to so many people and people have used like tennis balls even too, you know, tennis balls got a little bit of, of pack to it it's not as soft as like a stress ball where you can take a stress ball and you know easily squeeze it but the tennis ball has got some rigidity in there where it takes a little bit more effort to kind of push it down so i've heard people use that as well both on their feet and on also their hands you know i mean smashing a tennis ball into the ground is probably a little bit easier than holding it in your hand and trying to kind of squeeze it again but I should try that. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's fascinating. Well, you know, I think something though that you just said is that that you know, like you you keep going and getting this. So what what motivates you right now? What's motivating you right now? I mean, you're at the twelfth. You've got twelve coming up, and I know there's you know we talked a little bit about you know the change that possibly will happen with radiation, which I know 
there's been a lot of talk about radiation recently that it's actually beneficial. And, you know, if you've become surgical, there's benefits to that as well. We had a surgeon on and also a radiation oncologist that talked about the benefits of that because it actually it toughens up the, the, uh, the pancreas in terms of surgery. So if they do have to suture, it becomes a cleaner suture because this, the, the pancreas is that the scar tissue is that much better to suture than a normal pancreas. Cause a pancreas is very, it's like a sponge almost. So imagine like taking a pair of scissors and cutting a sponge and then trying to suture that back. It's so thin, you know, it kind of would rip really easily. So um, one of our scientists that we had on, who's a radiation oncology, Eugene Coy at MD Anderson, he talked about how they use radiation oncology now for most of their patients that are going to be surgical. Um, they do like, uh, you know, radiation oncology beforehand along with chemotherapy to really kind of make the scar tissue available so that they can use it to when they suture. And they find, they have found, and th this is early on, there, there hasn't been a long-term study on this, but the short-term results you know, in terms of people having um, ulcers that occur after post-surgery that, that are pretty common, um, that they don't find that that's happening. So they're finding that, you know, it's, it's twofold. It's creating scar tissue, so it makes it for a, a better surgical uh type of uh, suture, but then also having positive impact and, you know, zapping the cancer with this high intense radiation. So there's, there's actually, you know, I think years ago, like my dad was diagnosed in 2010, radiation really wasn't something that was kind of commonplace, but uh, I think science has shown, and that's what it should do, that, you know, there are improvements with that type of therapy now for pancreatic cancer. So that, that's promising. But to well, go that's, back, that's interesting about the, the suturing. Yeah, yeah, it's fa it's kind of fascinating because I asked the question. I was like, "Why would you radiate?" And he's like, "Well, twofold. You know, naturally, you're trying to eliminate the cancer through you know this intense radiation, but then also with you know surgeries, you you know the the scar tissue creates." you know, a tissue that's much more easier to suture than just the normal pancreas. And so it's kind of fascinating. I mean, I guess maybe they didn't realize that while they were doing it, but then, you know, from doing this and, and seeing, and that's part of science, right, is figuring these things out and making it better. So it's just really fascinating what's happening. And, you know, I, I do want to get back to what motivates you, but I think the one thing I will say James, is there's so much going on. And this is just, that's just one example, right? And so that's where I tell all our fighters and survivors is just, you just never know what's going to break, um, you know, in the next six months or in the next month or, you know, potentially, you know, right, you know, could, there could be something that we're just not privy to that could be a game changer um, for this disease. So that's really the key, you know, is to keep, keep being in the game. So the question that I had is, what motivates you right now? What's your motivation? My motivation to do the chemographs or to, uh, to just to, in general? Your motivation to, to know, like, hey, next, when are you going in for your next chemotherapy treatment? Uh, next Wednesday. Yeah, so you know you got to go in for chemo. What, what's getting you up from every day now till Wednesday? Well, as my uh, when I met with uh, Dr. Coe a couple of months ago, when he, he kind of wanted to know, you know, see how I was doing with the chemo. I had a CT scan that showed that the tumor had shrunk a little bit, and um, he was pleased with that. And uh, he kind of turned to me and said, so so what do you think of chemotherapy? Kind of, uh, and I said, hey, 
I love chemotherapy <laughs> because, you know, it's giving me a chance, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's no fun, but, you know, I'll, I'll take, I'll take this chance. So what motivates me is that, um, is the path forward. And, um, for me is, uh, Dr. Coe has told me basically the path forward for me is, um, to finish the chemotherapy, you know, max it out to the 12, uh, to the 12, uh, rounds, which I'm doing. And then, um, there's a small chance of doing ex- kind of an exploratory surgery because he believes that the tumor may be smaller than it's reading on the CT scan. And he also wants to see the nature of, uh, how it's attached to the, um, uh, the artery and the ducts yeah. because sometimes it's attached like bark, you know, where they can peel it off yeah. easier than Absolutely. other other times. And um, so he wants me to meet with a surgeon, but he, he, he says it's kind of a long shot, you know, because they probably wouldn't do that. But he said it is a possibility. But he said, for sure, though, you'll be doing um, the radiation. And then he said that's the kind of, you know, kill the tumor as much as we can. It, w- it won't be dead, but he has patients that are living five, ten years out with controlled tumors. And he feels that um, I might be in that boat, you know, where it'd be, I call it a zombie tumor, but it'd be inside. It's it's not dead, but it's not growing. And it's um, kind of static. And, uh, of course, it'd have to be checked regularly and I haven't, we haven't gone into all the details of that, but anyway, that's the path forward that, that he's charted for me. And, um, it's certainly, uh, a path that I will jump at and take and, um, considering, you know, often, you know, the outcome with pancreatic cancer can be considerably worse. So, um, uh, that's what motivates me. Of course, the bottom line, what motivates me is to stay alive for, for family and friends and, uh, and to, um, participate and enjoy in this magical gift of life that, that we all are, are given. And you may not know why we're given it and, uh, but we are. And, uh, um, that's what motivates me every day. Perfect answer to that, James, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, you know, as I said before, I think the one thing that is exciting for me, I've been in this space eight years, and I'm not making this up. I'm being 100% transparent and honest with you is there's so much going on. So like I was on the phone the other day with one of our scientists, and, you know, her goal is to have a 50% survival rate in five years. And I think that's really realistic. You know, that's a big jump from where we are, but there's so much going on. And, you know, we're pushing. There's other groups in this space that are pushing. And, you know, the scientists are are brilliant with ideas. The one challenge that we have right now that's in front of us is just the bandwidth and dollars and cents and, and trying to move this disease sooner than later for families like yourself and, and to have opportunities um, to get into treatments 
that are game changers. So, but I, I am confident, you know, in the next five years, we're going to have this huge rush of advancements in this disease. So it's exciting. You know, I, there's a lot of reasons why I get up in the morning, but I will tell you this, that there's a lot going on. And, and I go back to what I said. It's just about, I, I tell everyone this, it's stay in the game. We all get knocked down, right? That's life. And I'm sure you've seen that, not just from this clearly, but other things that have probably happened in your life as an artist or as a father, as a spouse. Like, I, I don't think life is about being on top. It's about how we respond when we get knocked down. And I truly believe that. And and that really builds character and, and you know, that's makes who we are, you know, really special about, you know, when you get knocked down, how you get up and how you, how you, how you get there, you know, whether you dust yourself off or if you pick yourself off or sometimes people need help and there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, I, I truly believe that there's going to be some massive game changing things that happen here in the short term and and then in the long term as well. Let's talk a little bit about um, your work. And I, I know from looking at your website, extremely, I, I think artists are so talented. I And I can't draw for to save a lick. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just think it's so cool. And, and so on your website, you've done kind of multiple mediums, right? Like in terms of art, right? You've got some sculptures, some bronzes, and then there's... Mm-hmm. You know, you've done the illustrating um, that you talked about, you know, so you're very talented um, because I, I, at least from my standpoint, and a former employee was a, was an artist major and her husband did his uh, PhD work at Yale. And I know he was very specific, like his art was like oil paint and that's what he did. And he, and he did that and that's what his focus was, but you're kind of multi-talented and multi-faceted. So did you... Were you schooled in the arts, or was this something that just naturally just came to you, first of all? Well, um, you know, I always was interested, you know, as a child, you know, I was always drawing, but all kids draw, you know. But yeah. I, 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 in high school, they didn't have an art department, and, and then I went to uh, UC Berkeley uh, as a history major, and their setup there was if you majored in history, you couldn't take any art classes because you had to be an art major to take art classes. So I took art classes off campus, and then when I was done with the Berkeley, and I kind of decided I wanted to kind of really explore the art things. I've been doing you know a lot of art on, on the side, and I went to the College of Arts and Crafts and started, which is now the College of Arts in the in Oakland and now in San Francisco and uh-huh. and started taking classes and got another degree there and and uh, decided to go I decided to get involved in uh, children's books and uh, worked on my portfolio but I was also yeah, painting and doing kind of these sculpture paintings and it's kind of a two track thing I mean part of me really likes drawing and doing kind of realistic things i mean and i wanted to kind of pursue that and there's a kind of craft involved in that that i really enjoy and i was fortunate enough to eventually get work in new york that's when we moved to new york Uh, we got married in 1984 and moved to new york and i got work um right away doing books and was able to work with some really wonderful editors and uh did some wonderful books and uh um, and I really enjoyed the whole process of working with the manuscript and, and working, uh, creating.
whole different kind of way of doing art uh, because you're, and it's also a job, you know, it's a contract. You, they give you a contract and yeah. you have to produce the product. And, you know, so it's a little, you have a client, you know, it's a, it's a little different from just sitting in a studio and creating artwork. But I always, I always had a need to do that other side too. I had a uh, kind of vision that I was following in my head and, um, I kind of made a promise to myself to let that, just to follow that vision wherever it led. And uh, so over the years, I've had this kind of two-track uh, approach to my kind of creative output, you know, the the more structured illustrating and then the kind of totally free kind of um, uh, production of objects that, that are kind of an evolution of uh, what I have in my mind, you know, so... I mean, that's kind of a, a vague answer, but uh, um, no, I think you my, answered uh, the artistic you, uh, path that I followed. No, you've you've answered it perfect. So I, I'm fascinated again because you weren't technically you didn't go to school for art, but you are super talented and, and made a career of it and have done very well. So which. If you had to choose, which is your favorite um, between you know what you've done, you know, uh, in terms of art, illustrative, the paint, the bronze, the sculpture, and I saw the spirit graphs, which I want to talk about. Um, well, it'd probably be the um, you know the kind of sculpture painting thing. I mean, um, that's really pure. Uh, it's really pure uh, creativity. I mean, you're 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 working in the physical world, and and also, um, you know, the painting thing has been going on for thousands of years. It's like a, you know, a four thousand year old conversation that we're having. Um, uh, you know, cultures and people are having in in the realm of painting. A lot of people think. You know, painting is dead, it's over, you know, maybe so, but people keep doing it. It's kind of a fascination I think people have by looking at, at, at paintings. It's so uh, it's so um, prim- primordial, you know, dealing with putting pigment and colors on, on a wall and, and, you know, it goes back to the cave, cave, the yeah. cave people doing that. And um, so, you know, that's probably where my heart is. Um, uh, the... Um, Illustrating, I, I enjoy doing, and uh, but it's a completely different thing, and, and perhaps not as on a deeper level, not as satisfying, and also not as frustrating either. I mean, uh, um, illustrating is more job-like, um, but the uh, creative process is, is much more mysterious and um, often very frustrating because you're not getting, you know the ideal that you have in your head, you're not getting out into uh, uh, space. You know, you're, it's, it's always, uh, you're always falling short of what you uh, were trying to uh, animate or manifest. So it's always a challenge, but it's a, it's a great thing to do. You know, it's a great, and that's what I think artists do is try to bring into uh, reality uh, thoughts and ideas that are either, um, come from within or, you know, artists are, I think people that have their antenna out, you know, a little yeah. longer than other people and they're sensing things that are about to happening, about to happen or, or are happening and, and translated and 
drew themselves out into the world where it's a way of looking at things that um, bring uh, the viewer into that world in a maybe different way, you know, a different way. Um, as Picasso famously said, a, a painting is a lie that tells the truth. And I think that's kind of what art does. So the spirit graphs that are listed on your site, where did that come from? So, and, and I assume that looks like it's just taking existing photos, or am I wrong? And then looking them over, are those photos well, they, or those um, drawings? Because that's really fascinating. I'm, I'm looking on your website, which we're going to give our audience your contact, and we'll give them the 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 website. But this is kind of a fascinating. It almost looks like an X-ray. Yeah, I mean, I those started. I I started photographing my sculpture actually um and i was trying to uh uh look at it a different way and you know exploring you know with photoshop using filters and and i fell upon this um kind of method that yeah it kind of looks like x-ray or or uh uh and the images of my sculpture that i don't have on the website you know they kind of look like uh things floating in space mm -hmm. or under a microscope, you know, the, the, the scale is very ambiguous. But then I started doing it with drawings um, of figures, and uh, and I draw them, they're very small kind of drawings, and then I um, yeah, manipulate them in, in, in Photoshop, and, they, and I, I just, I kind of like the way they come out because they, they, they look like... Um, like you say, like X-rays, yeah, or they're really something cool. you might see under a microscope, or they or they might be floating through the stars. You know, it, it, it's the scale that's very um, ambiguous, and uh, it's also um, spiritual, yes, but essential. Like it's it, it it's a, they're figures that there's no um, extra imagery or anything. It's just the basic figure that the kind of animated energy of a, of a, of a human being without um, all the peripheral things, you know, clothing, hair, whatever. And uh, so it's kind of a world where it's, it's just um, kind of examining the essential spirit, you know, in, in various uh, kind of uh, contexts. I, a lot of, I think a lot about mythology and uh, Jungian sort of imagery, that kind of universal um, kind of imagery when I when I do those drawings. It's so cool. I, I think that's I, I love that. That's so cool. Um, I'm going to shift gears here, and we're going to come back to the, the Instagram page, the Chemographs, and. I've got a couple questions here for you, James. So I know we talked about just the, the difference from the first to the last post that I've seen. But the process, and you mentioned something there in, in just a while ago about with the illustration and with this. So when you go in, because I see there's so many, and I've got a couple questions, and there's so many different types of chemographs here and illustrations. So these are not preconceived. These are you actually sitting down. So this is during your time when you're in the clinic getting chemotherapy that you're drawing these out. Well, I draw them every day. And oh, okay. so I'm not always, I don't draw them in the clinic. Okay. Um, no, I draw them at home. Draw and, them uh, at home. 
you know, at the clinic, I'm just doing the clinic. I, it's just, um, honestly, I can't. Uh, by the time I'm done at the clinic, I'm not feeling so great. Yeah. Uh, um, so these are done at home, but this is just stuff. Yeah. None of this is, I guess, my. there's not like, just looking from the different, pictures here like there's nothing there's no rhyme or reason why these are done on certain days it's just a matter of like you sitting down and all right i feel this way like i look here like there's a lot where it's uh you you make a lot of references to this altar right and there's various different types of this one i'm looking it looks like uh, flornox steps up to the armor of light and steps up to the chemo altar to deep drinkly and replenish himself onward so that must have been on a chemo day and then yeah. there was another one that was really cool that was uh, conducting the music of the spears from cellular to planetary, which is looks like a boy, which I guess might be you. And, you know, he's like he's got like uh, the conductor's wand, but then he's orchestrating. There's a planet, then there's cells and there's all these other like kind of little things here in this like universe so this is more of like just kind of conducting the whole journey of what's going on. So it's just so cool. How, but then the one right after that then is, you know, back at the chemo altar, you know, for more infusion. And, you know, you've got kind of the altar and this this uh, person taking in the chemotherapy. So just the, the reality of that, right? And then there's one before that, which I, I assume uh, this is probably a reference to your wife. For my beautiful mer- mer- mermaid from the amber sea, my protector, my warrior, my life companion, the love of my life, who's at my side every step of the way. I love you forever. Right. That is for my wife. Uh, she's uh, of Lithuanian descent, so um, the amber sea is the Baltic Sea, and uh, her middle name is Lithuanian for mermaid, so and she's always so loved cool. mermaids. So. Well, that's your serenity. It's so such a, a cool thing to do. And then explaining the situation here, you've got like this old sage, you know. <laughs> so that must have. So what was it? You had like a conversation with someone, I guess, possibly. Maybe that's a doctor's visit, I think. Well, um, you know, as I started this, like I said, I had no idea what I was going to yeah. do. And, um, it, you know, I started with the altar because I just felt, okay, you know, chemo is my new religion, you know, it's my, you know, it's my savior, it's my this or that, and it's going to be, you know, I'm going to extract, uh, I'll be, uh, it's going to be tough, you know, and, but it's going, you know, hopefully going to save me or, or help me, so I just felt like, yeah, an altar, I'm going to this altar, and I guess, you know, I didn't realize what they were going to look like, but these, the chemographs are kind of in this kind of mythological world. It's yeah. a lot of outdoors, a lot of, uh, um, you know, they're not buildings, you're not inside a lot. And um, I also developed fairly quickly uh, kind of avatars for myself um, uh, because I felt that um, I was experiencing this on a lot of different levels of my, um, not to say split personalities, but, uh, uh, you know, ways of experiencing it that I want to almost like compartmentalize. And, and one of them, so I have these little things like the baby, the baby that. is sort of, uh, you know, represents innocence and, uh, hope and, uh, rebirth and, uh, you know, it's me too. 
young guy with kind of spiky, flamey hair. Yeah. And he's, um, he represents my kind of spirit, my optimism, my uh, kind of purity. And then there's a guy who looks more like me. And actually, I, I started looking like him, which is the guy kind of with, you know, and he's got, you know, stubble and uh, hairs disheveled and he's... Um, kind of wide-eyed and uh, stumbling around when he's he's kind of the me me who's the physical body that's going yeah. through the chemo and then there's a guy um you know like a sage like wanderer within robes and a hat and yeah. um and he's the guy searching for answers you know searching for the big questions and uh he's also me you know he's me trying to figure out because when you're on chemo and you have cancer, you know, you do start thinking about other things than, you know, what's for dinner and I got to do my laundry and I got to get up for work. You know, you start thinking about um, uh, what what does this all mean and uh, why are we here and, uh, you know, things like that. And, and then there's another guy who's kind of a psychedelic, uh, crazy, limbed... Uh, uh, kind of protoplasmic uh, guy, and he is uh, the guy who is kind of tripping on the chemo, um, who uh, is um, often shows up. There is a rhythm to the chemographs. You, I mean, you were right. They go to the altar every two weeks, and uh, usually after that, my chemographs are a little spacey and a little weird because I am spacey and weird, and But I like that, though, James. I don't mean to jump in here, but I think, like, I I just got to say, like, just going through this, and so I'm going to be, I've always, like I said before, 100% transparent. I've seen these chemo graphs come across my feed for quite some time, and at first I was like, what is going on here? And then, you know, (laughs) Sam was like, hey, we should reach out to this guy because this is pretty cool, and then... Uh, I'm going to be honest again. This is like the first time I've actually, if you follow your journey, and what I would ask our listeners at home, and I think this is important, is to go to your page, which we're going to give them, but don't look at the latest one like I did. Go through, go all the way down and see this path and this journey. And you have this very, it's fascinating to me. Like you have, so there's, there's a very serious reality here, right? With this disease. And you're not, avoiding that reality but you have this very interesting way of sharing your journey and also adding some satire in here which is kind of i see it as satire maybe you don't but like it's just and it's almost like comedic relief that actually puts mm-hmm. a person with it and also brings a reality into it um like the, you have the fellow travelers passing in chemo night onward like you know and it's like these two people that have cloaks on and they're both waving to each other which is just very very powerful and and you know the the, the images of the little boy and then you have one here with the handful of hair um the left hand holding my hair that i just pulled out and then you had one where it was like chemo you had chemo brain that day and you just didn't feel like you just didn't have the energy or the brain power to you know, script anything and it's just, you just, the hand with the pen on, on a piece of paper, like mm-hmm. going to write. So I, I think it's just so powerful to go through this hair that I've gone through and seen some of these. And it's just really fascinating to me. You have one here with the pancreas, the seat clamp kind of day and onward, mm-hmm. you know, which is just 
just very powerful. So um, I, I think it's it's awesome. I think anytime you can take art and and you are communicating your life through these chemographs, which is just fascinating to me and super talented. So. I uh, appreciate you doing that and having the courage because, as I said in the very beginning before we got on this, was you don't have to do this. You don't have to tell your story. You don't have to bring light to this. But you are in a very interesting way, and, and that's your way of doing it, you know? So I think it's just awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not used to, uh, in my, you know, some people's artwork is all about themselves or about their journey, their life yeah. or whatever. And I, I, mine has never been that, and this has been kind of uh, revelatory for me to kind of put out, you know, some of the deepest, you know, things that are going on with me right now, you know, like the, you know, like I do this guided imagery stuff where I go down, you know, go down and talk to my pancreas and my tumor, and um I think it's really great, and uh, it really, um, you know, I, I, I really get a lot of value out of it, and yet it sounds so completely weird, and uh, and also, you know, really personal, and um, and yet I feel that uh, I have to share it because it's part of the deal, you know, and that, um, yeah, you say there, there's humor and sarcasm, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of my life is humor, and, uh, and um and you've got to have that too. I mean, you have to take this seriously, but you also have to not take it seriously if that makes it any sense. But, but oh, absolutely. Um, I, absolutely. I definitely want it. It's just the whole package, you know, and um, you're dealing with everything. I mean, people that are going, I mean, it's life itself. I mean, everyone, it's the definition of life is, is, is the whole package. And, uh, but when you're dealing with disease and, and, uh, chemotherapy it's just mag everything's magnified but it's also kind of boiled down to its essence you know so um such things come in sharper much sharper focus and relief you know and and so it's been kind of an effort for me to to not be too obscure you know but um and to kind of put out there what's really going on with me but um as a as the weeks and months go on, it's become a little easier to do that. So, um, uh, yeah. So I've got a question that you just talked about, and this is something that just popped in my head because we had a survivor a guy who's currently in treatment, survivor fighter. And so he is a fireman and he was very big into his physical fitness and his life, what he has done since he's been diagnosed and he's battled and he's been going through this for a couple years now, he has not changed his routines. And he's used that as kind of his motivation to take every day, one second, one minute, one hour, one day at a time. And that's how he's always lived his life and that's how he continues to live his life. So for you, do you feel, James that by doing these chemographs, and you just said you're visualizing for you, like you have some of these where you're winning and you're fighting and you're, you're, you're catch, you know, you, you are, you are on top of this disease. You understand it. You love the chemo. And so is the chemographs that journey for you. And, and there is strength in, um, 
I have seen this with everyone we've always had on this podcast that's fighting or that's beat this thing is their positive mental attitude. They have this one thing that is common across the board that they can see that and they knew that going in. You said you love chemo. We just had someone on the podcast and he said chemo is his friend, is his best friend. And he <laughs> loves going to chemotherapy. And he, you know, that's what he, in his mind, he he's, he made that switch. He didn't see anything bad with going to get chemotherapy. And when his counts are down and he can't go, he gets really upset. Like he's like, oh, damn, I'm going to miss my best friend, you know. So that whole power, your mind is such a powerful tool, right? And it's a powerful organ. It's the most powerful organ that we have in our body. But this whole narrative that you've started since you started chemotherapy is visualizing like the future for you in a positive way. Yeah. Um, and it's allowed you it, to express yourself in something that's natural and something that you were doing your whole, not your entire life, but for the majority of your life in your career and illustrating a book. So it's almost like you've created this book of positive visualization and also realistic visualization for what your situation is right now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, one of your guests mentioned that when their counts were low, they were disappointed they couldn't go. I, I, I had the same feeling. I had a, a, a two or three times my uh, platelets were low and I couldn't go. And also during the middle of this, I had a tooth uh, extracted, which was oh. a ridiculous thing, situation, but... Uh, Nevertheless, it happened. Anyway, I had you know two or three delays, and I remember the first time it happened, I was so disappointed. And and part of it is, yeah, you got to crank yourself up for chemo too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like something. Oh, it's chemo time. And yeah, you know, yeah. And, you know, you got to kind of, you know, okay, let's do it. We're going to do it because for me, it takes. And I guess for other people that are doing the um, fulfurinox, it. You know, it takes about five and a half hours of infusion, uh, you know, plus you're getting the blood draw. So you're, you're at the, you know, I'm down at UCSF for about eight hours, you know. Yeah, and, it's uh, a whole day. And then, of course, the two days of the home drip. So, you know, you got to, and then what follows after that? You, you got to kind of crank yourself up for it. And and I realized, yeah, I was so disappointed, you know, like, and... um because I, I, you know, I wanted to do it, and let's get on with it. And then, of course, then I realized, okay, you're going to get an extra week, you know. And yeah. you know, there's a good, there's an upside to that too, that you can relax and eat more and, and try to get your weight up and and he, you know, heal. And but yeah, so that that's very interesting that um, that he said that because I felt the same way. I think it's just so fascinating. Like it clicked when you said visualization. It's like you're expressing yourself in this journey with what you know. And like going back to this gentleman, he knew like his routine and that's how he lived his life. And he was committed to keeping that routine. And, you know, that was like his positive energy and his positive mindset was that similar to what you've been able to do here with, you know, the illustrations and, and the chemographs page. So I just commend you for doing that. And I, I think it's just so cool. I've got two questions for you left. And the first one is, what advice would you give to someone who's listening, who's just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, given what you've gone through, you know, over the last couple of months since your diagnosis? The advice I would give when you've been diagnosed, 
diagnosed is um, to try to advocate for yourself in the in the medical system and make sure that you have access to the right care, the best care. Um, this is a I've seen this based on people I've talked to, you know, in in the infusion ward and other people that. Yeah, you know, we live in a big country, and a lot of people live in more isolated areas, and or and they and the advice that they can they get often amazingly is is not the right advice. And um, in terms of 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 your prospects, uh, in terms of your care, and and so you got to kind of shop around. I mean, I even did this. In San Francisco, we ended up at UCSF, and um, um, fortunately, they they took us, you know, took took me on. But um, you kind of got to get that sorted out. It's a chaotic period. You've just been diagnosed. It can be uh, catastrophic in terms of you know your life and your emotional situation, your job, your everything. But you 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 need to either do it yourself or your family or your friends or whatever, sort that out um, because it's really important. I know it's a kind of a very practical, cold kind of piece of advice to give when you've first been diagnosed, but I'm afraid it's, it's really important. And, um, and other than that, um, be um, totally accepting and open to what people uh, tell you, you know, your friends and family, you know, they, they're not all trying, they don't always try to, they don't always say the right thing, but accept it, you know, don't, don't turn it off. And, um, you have to explore, you know, your nature as a person, it's going to come out, it's going to come out what, um, kind of person, your personality, your natural instincts are. And, um, you have to um, kind of calibrate that toward your uh, approach to your treatment and recovery. Um, uh, some people are relentlessly optimistic. Some people are pessimistic. Um, you have to calibrate it to the realities of your situation. And um, like you mentioned earlier, the habits of your of your day. What what keeps you focused? What what keeps you who you are? I mean. Definitely these chemographs for me, I knew that I didn't want to lose the creative part of me. I didn't want to enter chemotherapy, kind of going into this tunnel and not and losing myself, just becoming this receptacle for chemotherapy and, and kind of moving on. I wanted to keep the essence of what I am as a person, and that essence is you know, creativity. So I wanted to keep, create a conduit to keep that alive. And so I think you have to do that, whatever you are, you know, whatever walk of life, whatever job, whatever it is, hobbies, interests, keep something going that is you through this process. So you don't lose track of yourself. Um, that's yeah, so and powerful. Then just uh, accept, accept your, accept the um, treatment, and uh, let 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 the treatment do its work, and do everything else you can do. You 
come across with to help it. It's so powerful, James, and I appreciate you sharing both of those points, and I, I think you're right on point with both of them. And, um, you know, I've seen this eight years now, and I know when my family was going through it, like my mom was the biggest advocate for my dad, and you have to. Like you have to advocate for yourself because no, they don't even give you like uh, an extra Band-Aid unless you ask, right? So and right, I'm not exactly. trying to be sarcastic, but that's on, – on, and, it, and it's no – I know there's probably a lot of healthcare professionals listening. It, it, that's just the system. It's not people are mean and malicious and they don't want to give you an extra Band-Aid, but that's just how you have to ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. I mean that's just life as a whole, right? Like – you don't get an extra. Right. I mean, yeah, when I you know, was diagnosed and everything and we were um, uh, in, a, in a healthcare system that was fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfectly good system, but, you know, I wasn't at the top of my game for sure. <laughs> you know, I was not feeling well. And, and, uh, and my daughter and my wife went to these meetings and, um, and, and we met, you know, Dr. Coe at UCSF. And it was clear to their mind that they felt that he and the whole setup there was, was the place where we should be. And, um, you know, it wasn't so clear in my mind, you know, and, and, and I said, well, you know, whatever, I can deal with the, you know, the other doctors are good too. And, you know, and, and they kind of made the push and I eventually agreed with them and, um, you know, not to, disparage the other group or anything because they're perfectly fine but it, it's a matter of them knowing what was better for me you know and um so that's what i mean about you know doing that because you're not you're not going to be at the top of your your game at that really confusing chaotic time and um but yeah you need someone at your side to to go to the meetings go to the meet the doctors and kind of uh you know, run interference or uh, just uh, be the the third or fourth set of eyes and ears that can um, help you make decisions. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And that's so important. And I think the one other thing you mentioned, and I just made a note, is keep you. You know, cancer doesn't define you, but, it, you know, you, you define cancer, right? And, and it's not something that's going to define you. You control it and you stay who you are. And I think that's just so powerful. And whether you're an artist, a musician, an, a runner, a hiker, a walker, a talker, well, there's plenty of talkers, but, uh, you know, if you knit or if you, you know, do something else that, you know, keep that because that is you and, and don't let cancer take that away. So just very, very powerful stuff, James. And I really appreciate you sharing that with our audience. Last thing is, and, and I know we've referenced this a couple of times, so now we're finally getting it. Where is the best place that our audience can connect with you? If there's someone out there, I, I'd love to ask our entire audience to follow you on Instagram because I think it's so powerful. It's so compelling um, what you're doing there and sharing your journey. But is, are there other areas um, where they can follow you? I know you, I, I saw you have a website with your art, but why don't you give our audience the opportunity or give them the information where they can follow you? Well, I have um, you know my Instagram account at Chemographs, and uh, I do have a website for my fine art. It's James K M Watts dot com, and I also have a um, website for my illustrations uh, for my children's book work. Um, 
And that's uh, James Watts Illustrator dot com. And uh, those are uh, really the areas of uh, that people can re- reach out to me. Um, I also have a uh, Instagram, another Instagram account, but I, I I haven't really posted to it because I've been concentrating on the chemo uh, uh, grass. But that's James K M Watts at Instagram. And I'd love to hear from. Uh, you know, anyone is going going through this, and uh, I mean that's the wonderful thing about one of the upsides to social media is that uh, people who are in this world can kind of communicate and and feel there is a community out there. Um, um, and I think that's uh, one of the positive things about uh, uh, social media in terms of uh, I mean we're all unfortunately joined a group, at least, you know, people diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and cancer in general, you, you, you've just joined a club you really didn't want to belong to. But uh, since you're there, um, you might as well uh, reach out to other members and um, we're all in it together. And uh, the feeling of support um, is also part of the healing process, you know. I couldn't agree with you more and the strength in numbers, as I've always said. So I want to thank you for being such a great guest on our podcast. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with our audience and the public there. I know it's not easy. As I said before, we got recording. You know, it's it really I admire and it really inspires me when people have the courage to open up you know, their personal life and share their story because this is not an easy thing to do. Um, you're not going through something easy, um, but you're allowing us to share that story and share that narrative and also giving the public an opportunity to hear it and open up your life to them and hopefully it inspires many people as it has inspired us here at Project Purple. So thank you once again for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast, and we look forward to watching your journey unfold on chemo graphs, and and you're part of this family now, so uh, we appreciate taking time out of the day to uh, to be with us here on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it and appreciated it, and uh, thank you for, again, doing the work you do. It's, it's so important and um, having a, a big impact on the pancreatic cancer world. Thank you. And that's a wrap on another inspirational story brought to you here at the Project Purple Podcast.